Some of you are new, know this. We're just going to take a second, give a little more of the, of the, of the testimony here. But uh, last week, uh, after uh, many years of waiting, Brother Andrew Nielsen finally received his kidney transplant. <laughs> Amen. And he's doing very well. But we're going to ask his father uh, to come up. And just give you a, a couple of the cool things that took place. Andrew's going to have the opportunity when he is able to, to uh, come back and attend after his recovery to share this, his journey. But there's a couple of awesome things I want Brother Brant to share. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I certainly don't want to uh, detract from Andrew. Um, I want him to be able to tell his story um, for sure because this is this is his journey. Although, you know, as a family, as a whole entire family, yourself included, actually, uh, we've all walked the journey. Um, but it's, it's Andrew's story. It's Andrew's journey. I want to give him an opportunity to share that with you. Um, as many of you know, uh, he received a kidney transplant almost four years ago, or actually after longer than four years ago, he rejected that kidney and he was put back on dialysis and has been waiting, has been back on the list and has been waiting on a kidney, uh, for a little over three and a half years now. Um, at the time when he was placed back on the kidney transplant list, it was a two to three year wait. And that time came and passed. Um, then we had someone that stepped up and became qualified to be a, um, exchange donor. Um, and they told him that, uh, with the exchange donor program that he should be able to receive a kidney within a two or three month period of time, five months passed, nothing happened there. So it's just been waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, two weeks ago, uh, two Sundays ago, I don't know if you guys, you know, we all leave here and forget services, but, um, you remember that there was some, there was just some stuff flowing in that service. Um, Sister Trisha Bailey alluded to it. Brother Tromley alluded to it. I've prayed for Andrew, prayed with Andrew, as many of you guys have. Um, I don't know how many times. I prayed for him all the time, prayed with him directly all the time. And um, I felt led again to go pray for him. Uh, hesitated, 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 just because, you know, just want to do it. I, you know, as a dad... You know, as you guys can relate, you uh, you want to see it happen. So anyway, I didn't want to do it because of that, but I kept feeling led to go pray for him, and I went and prayed for him. And I said, I said when we were praying, I said, you know, Andrew, I, I have no idea specifically what the Lord's doing in this moment. I said, but the waters are troubled, and you need to step into them. I don't know what that means. I have no idea what that means. I'm not saying that you're going to be healed. All I know, maybe it's just he wants to give you some strength. The waters are troubled, and I know well enough to know that when they're troubled, you need to step into them, son. And we continued to pray. Lord moved. He told me later that when I said that, that the Lord spoke specifically to him and said, take a physical step forward, in which he did. And I remember I was sitting there praying for him, and all of a sudden I, like, almost fell forward because I'm leaning into him, and he steps forward like this. And uh, 
So we continue to pray. He then, I don't know if you guys follow his blog or not, um, but uh, right after that happened, the Lord started speaking to him, and he, uh, he said he don't remember a thing about the service after that. He doesn't remember what Brother Tromley preached. Uh, he sat back there in the back in the middle of service and wrote a blog about faith um, and waiting on the Lord and being patient. And within 48 hours of all that transpiring is when we received the phone call, or when he received the phone call. Um, I was sitting at home. Everybody else was out. Andrew calls me. I was ready to go to bed. It was around 9 o'clock, so it was about a half an hour past my bedtime. And uh, I was getting ready for bed, and Andrew calls and says, we got to get to John Hopkins. And so we started packing. We were up there and checked in by 1130, and um, that was it. It was a deceased donor kidney. Um, we were given a whole list of things, just, I mean, they, they make it sound like it's not going to work, basically, and they need to do that. They were given a whole list of things of the challenges that he was going to have to go through, um, the reasons that it was probably going to reject, the reasons that it could reject, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, we start learning about the kidney, and I think Brother Bickley had said some of it last week, but the, the statements were made. The, the, one, the, the first statement that we heard was, this kidney is as close to your kidney, your exact kidney that was came out of your body, this kidney is as close to yours as you will ever get. So that does not happen. There's a, um, because he's already had a transplant, um, there's uh, antibodies that rise up in your body and want to kill anything foreign even more so, and they said there's more additional medications you're going to have to take. And there's a different processes that you're going to have to go through because of the because you've already had a transplant. None of that. He doesn't have to do any of that. He doesn't have to do those extra processes. He doesn't have to do uh, take any of the medication. Um, they told him there's a highly. They said we don't want to discourage you. We're sitting back in the surgery room. We don't want to discourage you, but there's a high likelihood we're going to give you the transplant, and you're going to go home. You're going to have to go back on dialysis. The kidney is probably not going to work. Um, we're going to have to jumpstart it. It's going to take two or three weeks for it to start working. Within 15 minutes of the surgery, he was producing urine and has been doing so ever since. Um, you know, needle and haystack, several of the things were mentioned. We were on the last day. I don't know if you said this or not. One of the last days we were at the hospital He's finally walking around the hallway. We're walking, and we ran into his, his doctor. And uh, he said, oh, it's just in your room. And uh, he said, but you know what? Just don't, worry, don't even worry about it. He said, I'm going to go check on all the sick people, and then I'll come back to you because you're not sick. So that was, that was pretty – that was powerful as well. Um, there's so much. There's the, the hand of God – the hand of God was literally – um, and I know we say this a lot, but it was, it was, it was almost tangible. It was tangible in the situation, the way that God handled it and orchestrated everything. Um, and the, uh, the grace that he gave us through the process, we, we were talking as a family and I'll finish up here, but we were talking as a family, uh, one of the last days and, um, and then Jen and I actually had a further conversation. We went downstairs and we we're having lunch and, and we said, but With tears running down our face, we said, <laughs> we would not change a thing. I would not change this process. 
I and Andrew has said the same thing, so I don't want to take that away from him. And I know it's been a journey. He's got more of a journey ahead of us. We all do. But I would not change a thing. What the Lord has done in this situation, the doors that he's opened, the faith that he has built, the opportunity of ministry that he has given, and just where we're all at as a family and where Andrew's at, we wouldn't change a thing. And that only happens by the grace of God. That only happens by the grace of God. Amen. Everybody said that old song, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. You know what's beautiful about this? He said several things, and I, I know uh, when Andrew's healthy enough, I'd love for him to share some of the, the lessons learned in all this journey. Um, but I think the amazing part is two things that he said that really stuck out was to learning, learning patience. And I think we get patience mixed up. Patience is not waiting, but it's how you act while you wait. Patience is not waiting. Well, you think because you have, you're waiting, you have patience. No, the Lord's teaching you patience, and he's working on your attitude while you wait. And the Bible talks a lot about patience, having patience. And it's not patience is not waiting. Patience is how you act while you wait. But the other thing that he said in that is they wouldn't trade it. And I know Andrew has shared many of that. We, my wife and I were his small group leader last year when we began small groups. And um, we got to hear a lot of his insights and his own reflections of the journey he was on. And uh, if anything's changed, hopefully I say this, if, one of the major things that has changed, I believe, hopefully, in a lot of us, not everybody, there's some of you in here today that you're still struggling with this concept. But I know a lot of us in here today that are not just believers, but are disciples, is that hopefully in the last year and a half, two years, your viewpoint of your trials, tests, and tribulations has changed. Because from one standpoint, we would have loved to seen three, four years ago that we could have prayed for Brother Andrew and miraculously the kidney would have been taken care of. And the last four years, I mean, if you see him and you get to see him back there on Sundays and, and uh, some days, Sundays, it's his, he usually does dialysis on Friday and so sometimes on Sunday mornings he was dragging and and I remember small group for a while, he was having problems with fluid in his body. That's one thing that takes place with what he had. And he would, he would leave the gathering here on Sunday morning. And he would go put on like a sweatsuit and go sit in the sauna at the gym for an hour or two in the sauna, fully clothed. He said, if people walk in like, what are you doing? But he'd do that. And then he'd come to small group sometimes fatigued and and in one standpoint, it's like, man, why is God doing this? Why don't you just heal the guy? Let's get on with this. What a miracle. We could all cheer and clap God healed. But what about everything that he learned about God and learned about himself in that journey that will have eternal consequences and significance? And a lot of us are trying to or, or spend so much time. We're going to talk about this today. The Lord laid this on my heart. I didn't mean for this to be a transition, but we're going to walk in the transition. 
So many of us spend so much time trying to avoid what God's trying to get us to walk through because there are lessons in that that he's going to try to teach us that we could not get if we avoided what we're trying, what we're going through. Does anybody here want to live with pain? No. Does anybody want to live with discomfort? No. Does anybody want to live with, with, with trials and situations and difficulty? No. Is God able? Yes. But it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. Because ultimately, Matthew tells us to go into all the nations and make disciples. This was the, the, the final word given, recorded by Matthew. John records something different, Mark and Luke all. But Matthew's version of it is, is that at the crux of this, that we're supposed to go and make disciples. And at the core, we know that there's a huge difference between being a follower or a believer and being a disciple. Because a, a follower, it could be, you know, I follow the Orioles, I, 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 with every ounce of grace in me, I follow the Redskins. And it's, it's been a long journey of pain and suffering. But I, I'm, I'm a follower. I'm a fan. Uh, I might have some kind of invested interest in it, but that's where it ends. That's where my, 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 my journey ends is that I'm a fan. And there are too many fans of Jesus, followers of Jesus. And when Jesus is winning Super Bowls, everybody's wearing Jesus apparel. I don't, I can't tell you how many of my former Redskin fans have jumped ship to other teams. Because if you're a fan, if your team stops winning, you can go to another team. Because you're just a fan. If your team's no longer winning, you don't have any kind of signed contract that you can have to be that fan's team. You can choose another fan. And so now everybody wants to be a New England Patriot fan. There's only some true, there's only a few that actually have the right to be one. Originals. Pre-Tom Brady days. But you see, everybody's wearing this because everybody wants to be. And so if Jesus is doing things in my life I like, I'm a fan. Hey, God's good. I'll worship. I'll praise. I'll come to every gathering. I'll, I'll tout Jesus. But that's not a disciple. Because a disciple's not trying to support Jesus. A disciple's trying to be like Jesus. I find it interesting. I've said this several times over the last two years. In my own personal journey, I've gone back and looked at the Gospels again and again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't, I don't think I've studied much outside of the Gospels in the last couple of years. It's just been basically regurgitating Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And, and there are wonderful things in all four Gospels. But I, I, I've said this before, but of, of the four, John's Gospel has just a different viewpoint on it. John has a different viewpoint on it. There's a lot of reasons why, and I don't want to get too much into the, into the theology of it to understand the, the basic, but, but there's a, there's a section 
in John's gospel uh, that, I, that, I, that the Lord kind of dropped in my spirit was that on Tuesday. He dropped this into my spirit and I, I began to go back and look. And the problem sometimes when we look at scripture, we get a very micro view. And what I mean by that is we get stuck on one or two scriptures and that's important. But sometimes you want to pull out a little bit and look at the entirety of what's going on. I'll give you an example. There's a bookend to what, I, what, what, what the Lord dropped in my spirit. The, the first part is the, the very famous story of the feeding of the 5,000. John chapter 6 starts off with Jesus feeding 5,000. We all know the story. They're out, they're out in the outskirts of, uh, out in the wilderness area and there's a group that shows up and they look around and they go, uh, what are we going to do to feed them? And they have no money or doesn't have enough money to supply all that. There's no Walmart to go to. There's no Amazon quick delivery. What are we going to do? They go to Jesus and Jesus says, you know, we're going to get this done and they find five loaves, two fishes. He multiplies it and the rest is history. I find it interesting, though, if you read it, in John's account, in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all, all four Gospels found that this, this must have been a very significant moment in, in, these, in the lives of the men that were there because all four Gospels tell of the five, feeding of the 5,000. All of them do. But what's interesting is, is that the other Gospels make the statement that the disciples wanted to turn them away. John doesn't even mention that. John act like it was just this great idea they had all along. He never mentioned the fact that they wanted to turn him away. So that's the first part. And we could preach on that and talk about that God's a provider and God's, a, God's able to do the miraculous and all that wonderful stuff. And, and there's beauty in that, 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 that feeding of the 5,000. And then this, this section is sort of booked in by another great scripture that we've used a ton. It's John chapter 7, verses 37, 38, 39, where it says, Jesus on the last great day of the feast stood and said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Out of his belly fell flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Holy Ghost, which had not been given yet, because Christ had not been glorified. But there's, that's the bookend of this. But there's this amazing chunk in the middle that John puts in there that we don't really see in the other Gospels that, that, that I imagine if I'm John. Now get this here. Let's walk for a second with where John is because I'm going to get down to where you're living in just a moment, but I want, to, I want you to understand the context of what we're looking at here before we read it. John is sitting there some 70 years. I've said this before, but, but in the timeline of, of the gospel writing, and, and some of you are new, so I'll repeat this again. The gospels were not, uh, written as Jesus walked around the earth and then on the, you know, uh, as he ascended into heaven, they start, you know, they stood there going, you know, get your gospel, get your gospel, here it is. Two shekels for your gospel, get your gospel. That's not what they did. John wrote this some 70 years after all these events. So he's not just looking back on it with the perspective of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But he's looking back on it with 70 years of ministry attached to that. 
He's got a completely different perspective of just simply not just telling the story of the fact that Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again and here's what his life was about. But he's looking back on it of 70 years of ministry perspective, watching a tiny group of people gathered together in a room of 120 and watching that small spark of the Holy Ghost explode into a fire that literally burned around the world with a revival that literally they said these are the men that turned the world upside down but in that now it's some 70 years they had gone through persecution by Rome Paul had had his journeys and we had all this stuff happen but but in that I believe it doesn't say this but but it, but if you read his writing there has to be some kind of pondering of all the great things that have happened and and the 70 years of ministry and the the thousands upon thousands that experience salvation in that journey over 70 years he had watched people walk away in fact we even know Paul Referenced in his writing, some that walked away. Demas, he says, hey, he used to walk with us. Now he's gone. He's turned away. And I imagine John is watching 70 years of experience. And he's looking at this. And he's got all this great stuff that happened. But then he sees all that have walked away. And he's looking at this. And he's writing these stories about how Jesus did the miracles. And how he's done this. And he gave the promise of the Holy Ghost. But in this, he gives us this interesting part that takes place, that, that, that even when you're seeing Jesus face to face, now, let's be honest, we're sitting here some 2,000 years later, I haven't watched loaves and fishes turned into 12 baskets of leftovers. I haven't had the, 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 the beauty, because here's what's happening, here, now get the context, ready? It's got the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6 beginning, then the next story he tells is Jesus walking on water. But notice this, he leaves Peter out of it. Go read John's account. He makes it this like, it's a completely different story. They're kind of afraid, but they're not really afraid. Jesus shows up, everything's cool. Totally leaves Peter out of the whole story. So this is the kind of... It's like he's telling these things because he wants you to know that these happen, but he doesn't go into the depths that the other Gospels go into. The other Gospels give us this rich depth, this this back and forth dialogue. I mean, we know the whole thing with Peter walking on water and all this, be not afraid and faith and all this stuff. But John kind of just says, hey, look, these things happen. I get it. He fed 5,000. Check. Yes, he, 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 we, the, the way he walked on water, I saw it, check. But that's not what really got to me. And then he gets into this whole section, beginning with John chapter 6, verse 22. That he gets into this entire section where these massive events, I mean, come on, 5,000 people were fed with five stale pieces of bread and two smelly fish. What an amazing thing that must have been. But he doesn't really tell much about that. Did it happen? Sure. But for John, 70 years later, that's not what he's pondering. He's not looking at those things anymore. He's past the miracle stage. And he says, hey, you know, yeah, Jesus walked on water. That happened. 
But then he gets into this, this dialogue. And I want to read it for you here, especially for those of you who haven't read, read the Bible this week. I'm going to catch you up a little bit, help you out here on your daily Bible reading. Now, this, this is the... This is the context again. And, and, and the Bible doesn't tell us this. And, and so I, I'm speculating a little bit here. I get it. And you may not agree with it. And that's fine. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just speculating. That as John is writing this 70 years later under the, 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 the unction and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And he's filtering it through his experiences. And he's filtering it through his, his, his own understanding. He's filtering it through all the stuff that he's seen in 70 years of ministry. Something just doesn't fit. And I feel like he's trying to find the answer and give the answer. And he says this, on the following day. Now this is after... They had the whole boat walking in water. It says on the following day, verse 22, when the people were standing on the other side of the sea, saw that there was no other boat there except the one which the disciples had entered, that Jesus did not enter the boat with the disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, the boats that came into Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. Now he, he referenced these two miracles again. He said, look, that the, there was all boats except the one that they walked on and there was this, there was, this was the place. He's not denying these things happen. He said, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got in the boats and came to Capernaum. So get the story, right? They go to the shore. They're like, well, the boats are here except the one they went across. And Jesus is not here. so He must be gone. So they're chasing Jesus. They get in the boats. They start going across, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side, they see, they said to Rabbi, when did you get here? How did you get here? And Jesus answered, this is where I want to get to. This whole section here. It's, Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of loaves and were filled. Do you not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you? Because God the Father has sent his seal on him. Whoa! That was not what they were expecting. They, they chased Jesus, right? They had just seen these two just Hollywood epic movie miracles of fish multiplying, bread multiplying magically before their eyes. And then... then They had this, they didn't even know. They didn't even know that he had walked on water. They didn't know that story. They didn't say, look, all they thought it was just a journey. They didn't know he had actually walked across. Forget a boat, he just walked. And when they show up, they're expecting, hey, where'd you go? Where'd you go? We want to see more stuff. This was awesome. They weren't expecting. He just kind of, Hits it right in the heart of it. I've watched over the last, it's August, so it's eight, eight. So we're about 20, 21 months into this now, 22 months into this journey. I've watched some embrace it and some of you struggle. I've watched some of you just rip open your heart and say, God, search me. 
Whatever you've got to do in my heart, God, do it. I've watched the passion come from some of you. And I've watched God transform you from the inside out. I've seen you. I've heard your language change. I've heard what you talk about change. I've, I've had conversations with you that I've walked out of there going, yes! Because I can hear God working, but I've watched some of you. You're struggling. You're struggling trying to find it because, because yes, you understand it begins in the inside, but there's some areas inside that are still off limits to God. God, you can have this, but don't touch that. It either hurts too much or I'm not ready to deal with that. And so you've limited God and by limiting God, you've limited your transformational experience. And so, without realizing it, you're trying to slip back into the fault mode of where's the bread, where's the fish, where's the water walking. And he's like, but you're searching for the wrong thing. And I've watched now, and it's summertime, and I get it, summer, and and there's a part of it that, that I've learned to just embrace the summer. You can't beat them, join them, right? And I get it. Everybody has something to do in the summertime. And, and my wife and I, we had an opportunity last week. We were able to go away for the first first time of this summer and, and have a little family time. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I didn't have to repent for going away with my family. I didn't feel guilty. I didn't feel like I was doing something wrong. We enjoyed it. We went and had a good time and, and sat in traffic on 95 for, for 37 hours on the way back and had a great praying through moment through Virginia. They just need to blow that entire section of road off and start over again. If you are struggling with your walk with God, let me put you on 95 from about Fredericksburg to the Beltway and just let you pray. Just pray, brother, pray. My goodness, it, it's just, it, it just makes you just, it, it just in with the good, out with the bad, in with the good, out with the bad. But in that context, I know it's summertime, but, but I've watched just... Some of us begin to struggle a little bit because, because we're missing a little bit of the, the fact of what, what God's doing and the journey God's have us on. And, and it's really easy to fall back into the thought mode of where are the miracles, God? Why don't you relieving? And, and he shows up and he gives this just sort of amazing answer. These are, I mean, come on, let's be honest. Jesus, give him a break. They just got, this was not a, 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 across the river. They didn't just, they got on boats. It was a decent journey across to Capernaum. And he, they show up and they say, he says to him, Moses did not give, uh, 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 Moses surely I say to you, you seek me. Not because you saw the signs. And it wasn't talking about because you don't see me because you saw. He said, you seek, you don't seek me because you saw the signs and you believe who I am. You seek me because you got to get the bread and the food and now you're showing up because you're hungry again and you want more food. That's what he's saying. Is that now, here's the problem. Some people get addicted to Jesus because he supplies their need once and so now, if it worked once, have you ever prayed a prayer and God answered it one time and you prayed again the second time and he doesn't answer it? 
What do you mean, God? You answered it the first time. And then he gives them the reason why all this. And he says, do not labor for food that perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life. What is he saying by that? How much time are you spending on stuff that has only this world as an expiration date? How much of your life is consumed by stuff that when you die will not matter? And how much time are you spending on things that have everlasting life? Should we go to work? Yes. Should you pay your bills? Yes. Probably should stop spending so much on your credit card so it's easier to pay your bills. That's another thing for another day. But should you pay your bills? Yes. Does God want you to have life and enjoy life? Yes. You know what's funny? Sounds funny. Friday night and yesterday, we had an ongoing game in our house of apples to apples juniors. There's an apples to apples game. You ever played it? The fun game, cards and you had to match cards with funny sayings. We had like a, this epic game going on. We played for an hour and a half Friday night, and then we left it out on the table. We played it for, and we sat around and did this. And you know what? I believe that was all God. I didn't believe it was, oh, it's just spending time with your family. No, because you know what? I love all you people. But those three kids, I know I'm not supposed to say this as a pastor. They're the most important thing. Because if all you go to heaven and they don't, I've failed. That's strong, but it's just the way I feel. I want them to be saved more than anything. They got, now, they're going to get old. They're going to make their own choices. They could say, hey, scoot will do. I'm out of here. That's okay. But for the next, well, my daughter's 12. For the next six years, I'm going to give it everything I got. But it's being led of the Lord. Obviously, can't make, you can't make your kids your God. I've seen parents do that, and that didn't work either. Because you can't save your kids. I don't know why I'm saying this. You can only do what God tells you to do. And as long as you do that, there's no failure as a parent. Kids are going to make their own choice. But we sat down, we did this game. It was fun. It was an enjoyable time. We, a couple hours, and I, and my, we, my wife were talking about this. She said, it was like, it just felt like a God thing. We were playing that with the kids. So it's not like God wants you, this whole attitude that God wants you to be so serious and miserable and sit around with this sad, sad look on your face, like, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian. What are you doing? Oh, nothing. I can't do anything. I just had to sit here miserable. You know, that's the attitude. And, I mean, it's like, if we have happiness and joy, enjoy life, that's wrong. You can't enjoy life. You gotta be, you gotta be miserable. I don't believe that's what God wants to do. That's not God. Every one of you has something in here you enjoy to do. Every one of you has something you get pleasure out of. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it's pleasing to God.
I'm saying all that to say is that the context of it is, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you something that there, that you have to live a life of complete seclusion where you get up in the morning and you just pray all day and, 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 and you just read your Bible all day and you never have a bad thought. That's not what I'm talking about. But the, what, what Jesus got to them is how much of your existence is based on things that will perish. Because what they were seeking for was not seeking for everlasting life. They were seeking for the tangible moment fulfillment of that time. He said, you got this whole thing wrong. Wrong. And he keeps going. He doesn't stop there. Because they said to him, verse 28, what shall we do that you may work the works of God? And he said to them, this is the work of God. That you believe in me. Therefore he said to them. Therefore they said to him. What sign will you perform then? That we may see it and believe you. What work will you do? Our fathers ate the man in the desert. And it was written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus answered and said. Most assuredly I say to you. Moses did not give you bread from heaven. But my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Later on, in a few, few verses later, he says, yes, they ate bread that Moses gave and they're dead now. Jesus said, yeah, they ate the bread, but they're dead now. Then he said to them, Lord, give us bread always. And he said, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. And all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast off. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Then, Go, go a little farther, verse 41. This is still this whole train, again, this is sandwiched between these, these great miracles. Then the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Now they're trying to, they didn't, yeah, this is awesome. When people don't like what you say, they discredit you. That's how they justify it. And they even try to Jesus. They didn't like the fact that, wait a minute, you are supposed to give us bread. It's just bread of life stuff. You gotta take it and go somewhere else. And the only way they, they just, they just started to discredit him. They said, hey, he said, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I've come down from heaven? You notice that people always want to discredit you because of your past. I love that. Here they are. They're trying to discredit Jesus because you're Je- And Jesus, he wasn't having it. Is. Jesus Andrew said to him, do not murmur among yourselves. No one came down, came to me unless the father who has sent me draws him. And I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall be taught of God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Here he goes again. Same thing. I'm the bread of life. Now here we go. Ready? This is the drop the mic. Verse 49. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they're dead. 
Yeah, you keep coming to me with this deal that I'm not who I am because you got manna in the wilderness and I'm talking about the bread of life. But hey, just to give you the score, they're dead. And what I'm talking about you tonight is not just going to satisfy your momentary need, but I'm talking about your eternal need. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Wait a minute. We all know we're going to die. We all know there's an expiration date. We know you can't live forever. Every time you look in the mirror, you know it's getting closer and closer. You cannot live forever. So if he says you're not going to die, what is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that this life means nothing in some ways to God. Not that he didn't want you to be happy, but God is not stressed over this life. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 tells us, take no thought what you eat, drink, where you should live, where you should lay your head down. Don't worry about all that because God can handle that. He's not up there going, I don't know. I've got so much stuff. I don't, I don't know what, oh, I can't sleep. Gabe, Mike, come over here, guys. I don't know what we're going to do. Do you see those people down there? They've got so many problems. I don't really know how we're going to handle all these problems. One moment, God could take everything in this room and change it in a moment. He does it. Why? Because we're not seeking for loaves and fishes. He's trying to get us to eat of the bread of life. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, it will live forever. And the bread that shall eat, and the bread that I shall give them is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. They got into the whole thing. They were really puzzled about that whole thing, eating, eating his blood, drinking his blood. They were, but then this is what happens. Verse 60. Therefore, many, everybody say many. Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? This is hard. Now, you and I read this. What's hard about that? They go, this is hard, Jesus. Verse 60, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? So they justify it because they didn't understand it. But really, it's hard. You know why it's hard? Because he's ultimately talking about who's in control. And what's your ultimate goal? And you know what? For people that want to live in the flesh, want to run their own life, want to do their own thing, and want their needs satisfied, yes, yes, and yes, it's a hard saying. Because there's two components to the whole deal is, who's in charge? And I'm not talking about who's in charge when you've messed up and you need somebody to fix it. I'm talking about who's in charge that every decision you make, it's not your decision, but his decision. And you don't make a decision until he tells you to make the decision. And then, ultimately, what are you trying to satisfy? And he said, this is the hard thing. Go to the next verse. I'll just read it from here. When Jesus knew himself that his disciples complained about this, he said, does this offend you? Boy, this is good stuff, man. Do you, are you offended? 
You know what? I say this in the Holy Ghost. I believe the last couple of months have been a time of revealing hidden offenses. There's some stuff stirred up in some hearts over the last three or four months. You're trying to justify it by what you see now, but it's only a symptom because the bottom line is there's a fence in your heart. And if you're watching this, some of you are home today. You're not even here. You need to hear it. Telling you, a fence will eat away at your soul. And it will justify, and you can justify, and you can, you can make, I mean, it will, John, I'm telling you, it's amazing to watch people completely unravel, but justify the whole journey, Lori. Because offense. And he says to them, does this offend you? Are, are you offended? Are, are you offended because you've come to me seeking bread and I'm telling you to eat the bread of life? And I, Are you offended? Can I say this with all soberness? In the Holy Ghost, and I don't, I'm telling you, I'm telling you this with, with, most of you know this by now, but in case you're, I don't have one stitch of notes today. I have zero. The only thing I have up there is the scripture. I put it down so I didn't have to search for it. That's it. So I say that because I didn't know what the Lord wanted to say today. He just dropped this section of scripture in my heart, and I said, well, Lord, whatever you comes out of it comes out. And, and so everything I say today is not pre-planned by who was going to be here or who's not. I haven't adjusted anything. I'm following the Holy Ghost, but I'm telling you, some of you are starting to get offended with God because of the way he's running your life. Because you're asking for bread, and he's not giving it to you. Amen. I feel that in the Holy Ghost. And you can fold your arms not naturally. That's nothing wrong with folding your arms naturally. I could also, everyone might like. I wasn't folding my arms. I hate saying, I had to clarify that. I could see it, man. You can fold your arms. I wasn't folding my arms. What are you talking about? I wasn't folding my arms. You can in your spirit. Let's put it that way. Fold your arms. And say, you know what? You're going to do it my way. I'm telling you, God's up to something you can't see. He said, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? If the Spirit who gives life is the flesh, profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you that do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were and who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it is given, it has been, been granted to him by my father. From that time, ready, get that. From that time, there's that word again, many, say many. Many of his disciples went Back and walked no more. That one verse 
is absolutely, I wish I had sound effects today and a voice changer to read that verse with the magnitude it deserves. That does that that does that that verse deserves a, a, a rumbling soundtrack and a booming voice from that time many many of his disciples went back and walked walked no more. I I I I don't I, I can get it I, I say I get it from the standpoint of. It's easy to walk away from a church because you can justify, well, it's the church has got this problem, the preacher's got that problem, this problem, that problem. But these people walked away from Jesus. Brother Cash, they had, these are the people that, that, that ate of the bread. They were still picking out bones from the fish out of their teeth. This section of scripture was about four months long. Four months. It was about a four month. And this particular part may have been only about, may have been less than two months. We're not talking about a huge deal. The the taste of the fish was still on their breath. The, the, The crumbs were still in their pockets. The stories of him walking on water weren't ancient history. They were yesterday's news. And in that moment, many walked away. I don't know how that hits you today. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm not trying to be demonstrative for the reason of drama. I I, I just can't explain to you what that does to me when I read that scripture. It doesn't compute in my head that you're not walking away from a church. You're not walking away from a preacher. You're looking at the man Christ Jesus in his face. The one that had just multiplied the flows and the fishes and give you a miraculous meal and you walk away from him because you didn't like what he said to you. Trust me, it's happened, it'll happen again. There were people that will leave this church because something was set across the pulpit. It happens. You preach long enough, it happens. You don't intend it to happen? I never get up here with the intent to offend anybody. There's things I've said in the past, I've said, I may have said something today that offended somebody, and I, that's never intention. If I ever do that, please know it's not intentional. And if, we'll come hug it out later. We'll hug it out. But, that's, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm a man. I'm a man. No nail scars. Nothing. No back plowed. Nothing. I'm just a man. This was Jesus. I just, I, I have a hard time computing that. But when I stop and think about it, it shows me something about humanity. That if it was... If you could walk away from the man Christ Jesus, it's easy to walk away from God now. I mean, I get it now. I mean, come on you. He's up there in heaven. We're suffering down here on earth. He doesn't care about me. You can say everything you want and justify it. But these guys were staring right at his face. 
And then Jesus looked at him, and this is the answer. And this is where I think John, this is where John was, was really getting at when he was writing this, looking at this, and 70 years of ministry, and 70 years of people coming, and 70 years of people going. And he's trying to ponder, why do some stay, and why do some go? And I believe as he's pondering that, this came back to him. Why do some come and why do some go? And he looks at, from that time, many disciples went back and walked more. And then 67, verse 67, then Jesus said to him, do you also want to go? Another way of saying that is, why are you still here? Same, same question, phrased differently. He said, do you want to go? Really, what he was asking is then, why are you still here? How about some of you that have been around for 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years? Let me ask you that today. You've seen more people by this time leave than stayed. Why are you still here? Don't tell me because, well, that's just what I do. Wrong answer. Because if that's the case, your sands and your hourglass are almost out. There's got to be something. And he asked him, why are you still here? And then here we go. Ready? 68. Now notice this. Never mention Peter walking on water. Not a big deal to him. But he wants to tell this is Peter's response. I find that fascinating. He didn't tell me that Peter walked on water. He omitted Peter out of that story. But this was so important to John that when he came, he said, oh, yeah, I remember Brother Peter said this. Lord. Where are we going to (laughs) go? You have the words of eternal life. Let's leave that up there. Tuesday, this dropped into my spirit. There's one translation that says, where are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. That word... Literally, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, just was like a skipping record in my spirit. Only you have the words of eternal life. Only you have the words of eternal life. Only you have the words of eternal life. Only you have the words. I I literally for three days heard that on a skipping, repeat, repeat, repeat in my spirit. Only you have the words of eternal life. And so I said, okay, well, Lord, you're trying to say something. I went back and looked at the context. And look at the context of this again, fresh again, and pulled way out and looked at all that was going on. It it, it really struck something, not only me, but something I think that's, that's at the core Of humans. Only you have the words of eternal life. I've said this before, and I'll say it again today, that the woman that the who had the issue of blood that reached out and touched Jesus' garment. The Gospel of Luke records the story. I don't want to get in time to tell the whole story, but the, the whole key to that story is the Bible says when she had run out of doctors and run out of money, then she said to herself. If you could, if I could just touch the hem of the garment. She didn't have faith until she ran out of options. I've asked, some people asked me before, Brother Grossbach actually alluded to this one time when he was here uh, recently. Uh, is, you know, we talk about why aren't there miracles in America like there are in Africa? And there's a very simple, in my opinion, explanation. 
We have options. We don't need them. We have, a, we have hospitals and doctors on every corner. We don't need them. Brother Grossbach says, the, 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 the little fella sitting in the village that has an abscessed tooth, that there's no dentist in the country that can fix it, he has an option. Bust it out with a rock, or Jesus heals it. And if Jesus doesn't heal it, guess what? You're going to start knocking it with a rock. That's the options. Well, i got to be honest with you. If it's a rock or Jesus, my faith is going to be mighty high. But we don't necessarily need that. If you've got a tooth problem, and go see an endodontist and get a root canal. It might hurt your pocketbook a little bit, but it'll fix it. Or with my tooth, get two root canals on the same tooth. Finally, the dentist said, you know what? You shouldn't do a third. You just get the tooth taken out. I have options. But you know what? Here's the problem. Options give you choices. And here's the deal. Too many of us haven't been, this is the whole thing I'm trying to get to today in the Holy Ghost. Too many of us haven't been convinced that we can't somehow figure this out on our own. Too many of us still think we're somehow smart enough, we somehow are ingenuitive enough that we can somehow figure all this out on our own. We've got options. So hey, I'll give God his chance, but God, if you don't do it, I'll figure it out. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, here's the problem. You say you don't believe it, but you live that way. You know, desperation can cause people to do crazy things. I, I'm, desperation causes people to do crazy things. My, my kids come to me all the time. Dad, I'm hungry. Well, there's stuff in there. I, I don't want that. And you know what he say to them? You're not hungry enough. Because you know what you've said, right? If you're hungry enough, you'll eat anything. If you're still picky, you ain't hungry. My son, yesterday, we, 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 we had to run an errand. We were driving. He came on the way back. He said, I'm hungry. What do you want? Ice cream. Literally. I, I want ice cream. You don't need ice cream. But I'm hungry. Well, if you're hungry, as soon as we get home, we can make you a sandwich. I don't want a sandwich. I said, you're, but you're hungry. I am hungry. I want ice cream. Like, we were having a meltdown in the back seat of Epic Proportions over this, like, I mean, I'm hungry and you're not giving me ice cream. What's wrong with you? And we're like, son, if you're hungry, we, I mean, my wife gave him the whole menu. So we got Sandwich, we got chips, we got some leftover casserole, we, we've got cereal. We, I mean, we got, we're, we're, not, we're not on a fast. We've got stuff in our pantries. We've got everything. Didn't want any of that. And you know what? Bottom line, guess what? We all know, wasn't really hungry. And I have to be honest with you. Desperation causes you to be willing to do anything. To change. 
I talk to people all the time that want to change, but when you tell them what to do to change, they don't want to do it. You know, I ain't desperate enough. Because I'm desperate enough, if I was told to go stand in that corner on top of my head and repeat the alphabet backwards in Chinese, I'm going to give it my shot. Because I'm desperate. And you know what? When Peter looked at him and said, you know what? Where are we going to go? Only you have the words. You know what he said? We got no other options. Brother Jetty, when those people walked away, many, when the word many there means more than one. (laughs) That's the Greek word. More than one. (laughs) My question is, where in the world would they think they were going to go? And where in the world do they think they were going to get something better? But that shows you if you can walk away from the man Christ Jesus because you think you can find a better way, that shows you the arrogance of humanity. And I've watched, and God forbid, and I don't say this to be dramatic, it's just the facts. Sometime in the next couple of years, some of you are probably going to walk away. And the question I have to you is, where are you going to go? i got to be honest with you. This is not about church. Get, get the church. Get church out of your brain, okay? It's not about where my church. Get church out of your brain, okay? But problem is, people justify leaving church really to mask the fact they got a God problem, not a church problem. They'll tell you, well, the church did this and the preacher did this. Really, it's an offense with God. They're just not willing to deal with it. And I say to people, you know what? I'm, I'm not walking away from God. I'm just going, I just can't be with the church. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's why when you walk away, your life gets so much better. Come on, let's be honest. Let, let's take, a, take, a, take a, a sincere inventory real quick. Five minutes. How many people do you know walked away? And I'll just use church, not because this... It's not to do with church, but we'll just, just say church. Walked away from church, and their life has just absolutely gotten amazingly better. And Because my point is, it's not about church. Not about, you don't have to come to church to be saved. You come to church because you are saved. There's nothing special about coming here that somehow you get a magic star on heaven's chart. For church attendance, and if you do 52 in a year, that buys you a ticket to heaven? There's not Willy Wonka world here. There's no golden tickets we're giving away because you showed up to church today and you can skip along to heaven with your golden ticket because you showed up at church. That's not why we attend here. That's not why we come. We come here ultimately, or we should come here ultimately, because being here can get us closer to Jesus. And we know that sometimes to get closer to Jesus, I've got to get closer to my brothers and sisters. Because he said, how can you say you love me who you haven't seen if you can't love the person who you have seen? And guess what? God is so wonderful. He puts people in a church that get on your nerves. He puts people in your church that you don't like. He puts people in your church that you would rather walk around than walk and shake their hand. Why? Because they're the type of people that show you how to love. 
If I went to a church with all the same color, if I went to church with all the same demographic, if I went to the church with all the same economical or social background or the same education, I don't have to love them because they are me. But when I can go to a church with a black man as a white man and say, brother, I love you and you're my brother. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. I can go with a rich and a poor. That's love. I know I'm not supposed to say that. In the world we say, you can't say that. You... Why? This is beautiful here. Amen. This is beautiful. God forbid, I'm going to say this strongly. I'm recording. I'll probably get stoned on the way to the car. But if you've got to go to a white church to be saved or a black church to be saved, you're not going to be saved. Because guess what? There's no white heaven, no black heaven, no Asian heaven, no Spanish heaven, no American heaven. There's a heaven for all God's children. Hey, I got a good one. There's no Democratic and Republican heaven. There's no pro-Trump or anti-Trump heaven. So my question to you today is, what other options do we have? What other options do you have? So I say to you today, why are you here? You should say, you know why? Because I've got no other options. See, that'd be the case. I'm going to stay here even if my brother offends me. I'm going to stay here even if I don't understand what's going on. Why? Because I've got no other options. Why are you still here? Because only you have the words to eternal life. You know what that proves? That says to me, you can't offend me too much for me to leave. Mother Owens, you've been here a long time. We see a lot of stuff happen, and I'm not justifying any of it. But you know what? You can't hurt me too much to get me to leave. Because I got no other options. I got no other options. Why? Because you, you alone hold the words to eternal life. I'm optionless. You had options when you were out there doing your own thing, running your own life, living from weekend to weekend, trying to get your thing on on the weekend, only so you can work for five days to get more money in your pocket to do your thing on the weekend. You had options, but you realized your options didn't work. And so when you finally found Jesus and lifted your hands and said, God, I'm standing here today because I've run out of options. What in the world would make you think in the last 5, 10, 15 years of living with God, somehow you got options again? If it didn't work the first time, baby, it ain't going to work this time. Because you know why? We're not seeking for loaves and fishes. We're seeking for bread of life. Someone asked me, it's, it's been a great puzzle to people, external to Antioch West. It's been a great, and I'll say this to be arrogant. I'm just giving observations, so don't take it wrong. 
Lord, help us to get... Never mind, another thing for another day. But I, so many times, people don't, they don't understand, what, what is the big deal? What are you, I don't understand. And I say, you know what? This is the bottom line, and, and, and I'm going I'm to share within the context of what we are. One of the things we've tried to do differently is, is, is get our eyes off the loaves and fishes mentality of living for God. The loaves and fishes mentality... And I'm not knocking it because we do it. We're going to do it again. But loaves and vicious mentality is let's come to church and get my praise on. Because uh, you know I can dance my way through my problem. But guess what? I got to be honest with you. I've danced before Jesus and left the same way. I'm not saying you shouldn't dance. I'm not saying you shouldn't sell. But I'm telling you, there's some things you can't dance your way out of. I don't want to hear that jazz. Well, Paul and Silas, they were dancing and the jail broke. You know what? Go read the concept of that. They didn't dance to get delivered. They danced because they were just in joy in their tribulation and trouble that they could suffer with Christ. They weren't dancing because, oh God, I'm going to dance. I'm going to shake the chains off. They were just the fact they were, wherever state they found themselves in, they're with to be content. Paul said, I take pleasure in my tribulation, my trials and my circumstances. They weren't dancing to get out of it. They were dancing because they were in it. I want sometime next time you come and you have a bad week. I want you to get out front and dance. Not because he's going to make you have a better week. Because you're dancing in the midst of your terrible week. Don't dance when you got the victory. Dance in the middle of depression. Dance in the middle of the trial. Because you say, Lord, whatever you're doing, just do it. But you're worthy no matter what. Come on, somebody that's going through hell, just get on your feet, throw your hands in the air, and just say, God, despite the hell, you're still worthy. Yes! Yes! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! If you don't change it, I'm going to worship. If you don't change it, I'm going to dance and give you praise. I'm not going to dance to get out of it. I'm going to dance because I'm in it. Yes! Yes! Yes. I'm going to dance because you count me worthy to let me go through this because you know you can trust me that in the midst of it, I'm still going to give you praise. Hallelujah. 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 I've got no other options. Turn to your neighbor and you need to tell your neighbor. If you don't believe it, don't tell them. Don't, don't fake it. Tell your neighbor and say, I've got no other options. Tell them. There's an old, there's an old, old song. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Don't, don't get discouraged. There's an old song that says, I choose you. 
again and again. I choose you again and again. You mean so much to me, dear Lord. I choose you again. I choose you again and again. I choose you again and again. You mean so much to me, dear Lord. I choose you again. Let's just sing that to him as a prayer. I choose you again and again. I choose you again and again. You mean so much to me, dear Lord. I choose you again. I choose you again and again. I choose you again and again. You mean too much to me, dear Lord. I choose you again. You sung it twice, now the third time. I want you just to pour it out to him. I choose you again and again. I've got no other options, God. I choose you again and again. You mean too much to me, dear Lord. I choose you again and again and again. I choose you again and again. I choose you again and again. You mean so much to me, dear Lord. I choose you again. Now just lift your hands and tell him that right now. Come on, you tell that. Say, Lord, I've got no other options. Now, he knows if you're telling the truth or not. So you're going to have to be honest with him. Say, Lord, I didn't realize that I've been, I've had other options. But I realize today, God, that I don't have other options. Why are you still here? Others have gone. Why are you still here? John, 70 years later, at the end of his life, was pondering the fact, why am I still here? And I believe John had the same answer because only he has the words of eternal life. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let that word seal in your heart right now. Come on, let the Spirit of God seal this word in your heart. Oh, are you going to turn away too? Are you going to go away too? 
Why are you still here? Because only you have the words to eternal life. Only you have the words to eternal life. Hallelujah. This was not the, the recollection of a, of a child. John was probably somewhere around 16, 17, 18 when Jesus spoke these words. But now he was an, a man probably somewhere in his 80s, 70s or 80s at the time, depending on what you read or who you believe. This had been a man that had been exiled, that had been tried to be killed. This man had traveled the world and it was at this moment that he said, only you have the words to eternal life. This is a man that had tried, had the opportunity to do or see anything. So my question to you today, and maybe you can challenge each other today in small group with this question, why are you still here? That'd be a good start. That's a good starter question today, small group leader. Why don't you ask the people in your group today why are they still here? Well, you know what? Because, you know, I got no, you know, this is a good place to go. Sundays are boring for me, so I just show up. No, that's not a good answer. Maybe that's a good question. Maybe we can start with the question Jesus asked. Are you going to go? Why are you still here? Praise God. Would you just stand and give the Lord a hand clap of praise today? Amen. Come on, let's give God praise. Can we do that? He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Amen. Amen.